0: This is the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast, Episode 111. Good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster, and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jamie Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is, folks. It's a show focused on everything to do with fantasy and even some sci-fi books. From epic fantasy to urban fantasy, space opera, pure sci-fi, swords and sorcery, you name it, we've got it all here with the best and brightest authors from all the various corners of the book world here on the show. Starting off things this week, I'll bring you my latest writing update. Um, I'm working on the final edits for Huntress Adept as I prep the manuscript to hand over to my editor and proofreaders. That will all happen by the end of this month, and that means Huntress Adept, the fifth book in the Huntress Clan saga, should be out sometime in early July, is my guess. I hope to have it out that time, and um, we'll have our fingers crossed for that. If you haven't picked up the first books in that series, you can do that um, right now. Huntress Initiate, uh, at the time I recorded this, was on sale for 99 cents as an ebook. So head on over to Amazon and check it out. You can also find out more information about everything I'm up to, including sneak peeks to upcoming covers, special giveaways, contests I run, and a lot more. Head over and visit the fan group on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, over at my website as well at jamiedavisbooks.com, where I will look forward to hearing from you. I answer back all the comments and uh, emails and things I get, and I just want to be able to chat with a lot of great fantasy readers. We talk about everybody's books and what everybody's reading, not just my stuff. Joining us this week on this podcast is author Mark Johnson. Hailing from New Zealand, Mark's first book launched just this month. He was educated in the U.S. Mark has been a high school teacher in New Zealand. He has a master's degree as well in creative writing and another in town planning. Mark says he's interested in old things like religions, ancient cultures, and places, He especially likes to examine how the past influences everyday lives today. Check out my interview with Mark as we talk about his new book, The Renegade Within, book one in the Firewall series. Mark, I want to welcome you to the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Jamie. It's so great to be here.
0: So why don't you introduce yourself to our audience out there? We've got readers and authors and a bunch of people who listen to the show. Uh, Why don't you tell them a little bit about your background and who you are?
1: Oh, great. Thanks. My name's Mark Johnson. I'm a first-time author, and I'm just starting to release a series of books, uh, the Firewall series, a six-part series set in uh, urban – it's not urban fantasy – epic fantasy, dark fantasy – for adults, uh, set in a secondary world, uh, first-time author. I've been a few things in the past. I've traveled overseas. I got into high school teaching when I was done with teaching, and then, I'd, then I got done with teaching, and I decided to start getting into publishing. I started a publishing company with some friends of mine, and I just decided I didn't want to really work on the publishing aspect. I really wanted to get much further into the writing, and so I started working on my books, the Firewall series and really starting to put them out. And so that's where I am at the moment. I just, my first book went live on May 1st, uh, about a week ago here. So it's all very exciting. It
0: is It is an exciting time. Um, and so congratulations, first of all, on that first book. Um, that's a huge accomplishment. There are so many people who are well-intentioned authors who never put their book out. Um, so first of all, that's a huge accomplishment. And I just want to congratulate you on that. Um, just from what I can see, um, you you started saying urban fantasy, but I, I almost feel like just from reading the descriptions and looking at the covers and things, it feels like there's an urban fantasy kind of element to this, even though you consider it epic fantasy.
1: Yes, it's something I've been talking about one pondering for years is that what is epic fantasy when it's set you know exclusively in a city because i'm i don't i don't even fantasy has the trope of uh investigations and paranormal romance within it, but that's not where i'm going uh, but i I live in cities i I've always lived in cities I love cities and apartment buildings and the dense urban environment and the comp- and the complex life that comes along with cities, and I wanted to write stories in cities, and that's uh and, and that and so it's it's literally an urban fantasy, but it's not part of the genre. Um,
0: yeah, and that that's I think a fun thing to play with, isn't it? I mean, just to kind of look and see, you know, this is this is an epic fantasy storyline but it's the setting is a little different. It's, 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 it's put into a a city setting. We're not roaming all across the country all the time necessarily. Um, It's got that, it's got that city feel to it. Um, Tell me a little bit about the character in book one on the renegade within. Um, Is it Teresa? Teresa. Yes. Teresa. Okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about her because it seems like she's kind of a almost a tragic character just from reading the description.
1: She is, and she was inspired as I was teaching because by the situation where you join as a teacher and you want to do all these good things for the students, you know, sitting in front of you, and you start, and the system, you realize that the system that you're in, it's really not educating the kids; it's more just pushing them through and hitting all these buzzwords on the way through, and and there's some people. And, and this and i i got to a stage i just i just couldn't morally handle that where i would have where a t, where a, you're not even allowed to, in the system to tell a kid that they're going to fail you're not even allowed to do that you have you know and it's just the moral ambiguity there of what kind of system we're helping our kids but not really and and, she, and so i decided to just you know explore that with a character who joined a paranormal extermination organization with, you know, to exterminate uh, dark energies. And that's her organization, The Seeker's Job. And there's been a lot of what you'd call uh, mission creep. And they started off in a good place, like you would say with the military or with the cops, but they've ended in a bad place where what they're doing is they've actually begun doing experiments to rid the world of chaos energy but they're just they're just doing horrible things to do this and this woman started in the right place and because of her high degree of competence and career aspirations fell down a bit of a hole and and said oh well the the means justifies the ends and her journey throughout the book is realizing you know what? Well, I really screwed this up. I am um, I, because she has to hide what her organization is doing from other chapters of the organization, and her story isn't consistent. And she starts getting in the hole with that, and she realizes she's got to clear, claw her way out of what she's done. That she's really put herself in a dark place, and she's got to sacrifice her entire career and her entire reputation if she wants to reclaim what she had years before she got involved with the project
0: kind of a redemption theme then
1: a redemption theme that's very much her arc is making her from from kind of a villain from a from the villain in the prologue you the the one-time observer realizes that no oh, this girl's this girl might be a villain and the whole story is her is justifying why she made those choices that she made and getting her to that stage where she is able to claim that redemption
0: that's fascinating and and i'm curious because you talked about chaos energy talk a little bit about how magic or the supernatural works within your world
1: well there's A variety of energies in the world, and they've got electricity, but then there's the darkness that works off chaos energy. Then there's the people, a a select group of people who are able to weave energies, and those energies are more or less, I call them vibrations, and there's vibration academies and all these sorts of things, and that's kind of the answer to chaos energy, and the Undead are able to uh, just create that chaos energy and it's the job of the seekers and the weavers to put those chaos energies down. And there's also the, you know, the devil figure, uh, which is called the darkness and they create those undead and they basically just want to ruin the world and ruin it because the world is set on the face of a living God, the city itself is a living God, and so there's this constant struggle between the weavers and the seekers against the darkness. While people are just still trying to live, go on and live with their lives, and you know, go to cafes and sell carpets, or you know, be nurses or whatever it is they they do. That's that's the whole outline of the story. People trying to live a normal life while you've got this in this bizarre setting with all these life and death situations going on in the background.
0: You know, and it's, it's interesting concept really of people, you know, because we see that around the world, even today with people living in what you and I might consider horrible conditions. And Mm. they're, when you look at them, you know, their children are playing and, you know, there's, there's, they've achieved a sort of normal for them and they live yeah. their lives within that normal.
1: It's, and it's exactly what happens is, even in COVID-19 situations, like uh, I know where we are right now in May, people are still in lockdown. Children can't play with their neighbors. And so you've seen you know kids adapting, kind of like speaking over fences. The way we're doing with our neighbors, uh, people you know, that kids are getting on scooters and keeping distance from one another as they circle around the traffic island at the end of the cul-de-sac, and that's life finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum famously said, I guess.
0: Definitely, uh, and and I, I so I like that the idea of this redemption story in the midst of this, this mythical struggle, um, that you have that you've proposed here. Um, Now, I know book two is set to come out um, on July 2nd, which is exciting that you've got that coming along right behind it. Um, But I also noticed that um, Therese doesn't appear in the description at all. So are you skipping to different characters in each book to kind of show and then are going to bring everything together later on, or is there just a, a different way you're assembling the epic fantasy? Because epic fantasy does that, has many storylines and, and and many points of view.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing because at the start, Therese realizes uh, that from the experiment that she was overseeing, four people have escaped. There was a massacre of three hundred people, and four people escaped. And it doesn't make any sense. How did these four people escape? And this is the story of those four escapees and the conditions under which they are trying to just get back on with their lives. And they've moved countries and they're trying to keep what they can do hidden. And there's a reason these four survived. And even they don't understand it. They're kind of trying to come up into grips with it. And book two explains their journey and them trying to learn what happened. And that all and Therese is a part of that because she comes into, they they do come into contact and it doesn't end the way anyone thought it would.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Now I, you do have a, a prequel book or a prequel short story, I guess, that that's available. Um, that's been very I, well reviewed and, um, I want to talk a little bit about how that leads into this, and, and um, it's available for free at the time we're recording this, so that's kind of exciting. People can get a taste of this world without having to spend a dime.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the goal. People seeing where I'm going with this. It's called Dual Heritage, and it's about the, it's about the story that set up the prologue because we have the prologue and it explains a crazy situation. Then we have the magnet. When Therese chases these people to another land, there's still a situation that was left back in the original land. And and it, some, she was being investigated. People realized that she was up to something. And this is the story of that guy's investigation. And he gets deeper in and realizes the stakes. He realizes what she began to realize. But she didn't have the details he figures out the details of what the true threat is and that there is a threat to the gods in all of these cities, these living cities. There is a threat that hasn't appeared beforehand, and this is brand new, and he's the only one who understand who's gathered all the information. And, of course, no one would believe him if he tried to take it to a higher authority. And so now he has to figure out what position he is in to do something about it.
0: Wow, you really have woven quite an intricate story and and again, with that that urban setting um, that we don't often see in, in an epic fantasy world. Um, you know, you mentioned on, um, in, and in when you filled out your interview guide um, that I had you do, um, you talked about some of your video game choices. And uh, one of them is my, one of my favorites, um, Assassin's Creed. And I think, uh-huh. you know, I, I think about Assassin's Creed and I think about what you've described to me. And it seems like a similar kind of rich world with an underlying story set in an urban setting. Um, and, and, you know, how, how amazing that, that whole series has been um, to, to kind of explore an urban environment across the ages with an underlying story of magic and technology and, you know, everything that goes with it.
1: You're bang on. And that's, that is absolutely why I love Assassin's Creed. I love exploring the cities. Uh, it's something I always wanted to do was, for example, to see the Parthenon. I always wanted to see the Parthenon. And when I was at school, this is back in the 90s, when we didn't have the internet and they couldn't call up these images on the screen, we just had these books that we had to look at and we saw it, but obviously we didn't see it. And now we get to get, be in those games. I get to climb the statue of Pallas Athena, and I get to see, and I get to live it and I get to inhabit it. From the First Assassin's Creed and Damascus, going through Rome and... Constantinople or Istanbul, I can't remember which one it was at the time, Rome, Florence, Venice, and just seeing these cities as, if not as they were, then representations of how they were designed, it actually has tremendously affected my writing. It's changed the way I thought about infrastructure. It's changed the way I thought about getting food and the relation of the city to the villages. And and it's 100% played a role in how I designed the world.
0: Uh, it's it is absolutely one of my favorites and 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 I have to say, you know it's it's a it's probably because i I just love the history of it. I, you know i was I was mm-hmm. a history minor in college and and would have been a major if I could have pulled the double major off, but I just didn't have the time and the space to do it. Um, <laughs> but just the fascination, I mean, my kids, my kids watch me play now. I've got grown children now; they're in their twenties, and but um, they've been Gosh. watching me play Assassin's Creed, and they've been playing along with me. And they get so annoyed with me because they just race through the game. You know, they're 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 there to finish the central quest. Me, I'm like mm. reading all the little in- notes and you know going to the yeah, buildings yeah, yeah. and then reading the no- historical notes about it. And and I'm I'm fascinated with the level of detail that are brought into those games. At the same time, they're telling an, an amazing story. And one of the mm. things that I've seen over the last 10 years or more is, is how video games have become a central place for great storytelling um, outside of the movies. You know, outside of – we used to get that from the cinema and we don't as much anymore anymore. Because these games in our homes allow us to immerse ourselves into uh, a world and a story in ways that a,
1: a movie can't do. No. It's, uh, I'm, 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 I've been thinking lately that the, there's not going to be many Marvel movies left and they're going to move entirely into home cinema because that's where it's at.
0: Yeah, I, I think, and especially with the fact that theaters are closed down and you can't go anywhere and, and, and <laughs> yeah, movie sets that. are closed, you can't shoot any new movies. So what do you do? Um, you know, you can still do voiceover work. You can still do, you know, Ooh. virtual actors. Um, and and I see so many things. Um, I, this is an aside, It has nothing to do with authoring, but have you seen the Assassin's Creed Valhalla trailer?
1: Oh, mate. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's just, you know, they set a level and set a standard for their their cinematic epic scenes. Um, and, you know, when he pulls it, when he comes out with the hidden blade at the end, I'm just like, ah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah And I was just, I was watching this whole thing. And I'm like, this is cool, but where's the assassins? And then which one's the assassin? I couldn't figure it out. And then, and then he, he pulls out, it turns out that that's how he gets that great big knight at the end. And I was like, oh, so now we know, now we know. Yeah,
0: and I like how they've they you know that that whole series has always tried to be very inclusive. You know that that this they have that disclaimer at the very beginning of the game that says you know we try to include all cultures and and religions and 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 races and things in our games. Um, and then in the last two uh, in Valhalla and as well as in um, in Odyssey, um, you've had the option of playing a male or female character that are equally immersed in the storyline. And then you know that's not necess- That's not an it's not a, a thing that's done without some forethought because you have to pay two actors. You have to, you have to create two characters that have to be in the, in all the being the main scene. So that's different cinematics and rendering and different things that have to go on that, that add to the cost of the production. Um, and, and I'm so glad that they do it. Um You know, I actually played the Cassandra character in the Odyssey game.
1: Oh, me too. Yeah. I played Cassandra because I was so used to playing as a barely male. I was just like, Oh, let's
0: have something different. And She's totally kick ass. So that was just so much oh, fun. Trying. She was
1: awesome.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how many you know in in your books in the firewall, um, books. How many do you plan? Have you thought that far ahead? Um, do you have a like a, an end vision for this? It's going to be six books in this, or is it going to be nine? Or what are you thinking? <laughs>
1: Well, it's at firewall itself. I think of firewall as a novel, and I think of the books, for example, *The Renegade Within* as being book one of that novel, of which there are six books. And it's it's not all the same thing. The first book is a redemption arc. The second book is a mystery. is a bit more of a mystery. The third book, for example, goes uh, has a dual narrative, going back five thousand years, explaining how the situation the current situation that she has to figure out came to be. And that's one of the things I've also fascinated with is the human story, not going back to World War II, but I'm talking going back thousands and thousands of years, how we came to be where we are now. That's something I've got a deep fascination with.
0: That's great. Um, you know, to, to kind of have that vision. Of, are you are you concerned that you can get it all in in six books? Because I know sometimes people get mission creep as they write longer series. I know it's <laughs> happened to me.
1: I I literally I know I will finish it in six books because I've literally uh, cooped my characters up in this big building called Firewall for the last two books. So <laughs> and so it's it's a pressure cooker where where they have to defend a God's life from this one particular space. And I don't want to give away, uh, too much about how that happens. But it's, but it's it's definitely going to be six books because it's, uh, there's a lot to pack in though. And the books are getting longer and longer as I, as I keep getting to that place.
0: Um, I know you've got these other books on, on, you know, the horizon for you. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, is there, is this the direction you want to go in? Is, you know, kind of be in this, this hybrid epic fantasy, urban fantasy um, mix, or is there, are there other stories lurking in the back of your mind that you're itching to write?
1: I want to write about, I want to bring the world that we know, this, this world with technology and like yourself with hospitals and the internet. I want, I want to write an urban fantasy, literally, but I want to bring a world maybe that's got familiar technologies and also space travel and have uh, fantasy elements within it. Maybe people could call it space fantasy, but then again, no, that kind of brings in Star Wars, which is too far technologically advanced. I, I just really love playing with genre and creating... Things that I haven't seen before that I've absolutely been done, of course. I'm not saying doing new things, but I just really want to play in these unknown areas. Like the first time I read Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn and saw that he had this very apocalyptic steampunk era book, I was just like, This, it's I've never seen anything like that. I want to keep, I want to challenge myself to make these new environments that we haven't seen before.
0: You know, and Sanderson's Mistborn is a perfect example of that. Uh, you know, when you were describing what you were saying, I was like, "Wow, well, that's like, you know, you could see Mistborn in that area." You know, and so when and when you said it, it just kind of clicked as well, um, because mm-hmm. he has done that. He has taken you know a, a, that a post apocalyptic feel, but added a magic setting, a magical setting to it, and and. And brought the two together. And so I absolutely think that's you fun. could do like a near future, you know, not too not too advanced sci-fi, but still have the fantasy elements in there. Almost like a almost like a cyberpunk shadow run kind of feel with magic.
1: Yes. And that's <laughs> yeah, it was just, there's just so much to say about that. I better not get started. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're welcome to. We don't. We can go long. I just, I just wanted to just kind of, you know, pick your brain on that because there, there, you know, I'm the kind I, I hop from genre to genre too. Uh, you know, I, I have that inside of me to, to write, you know, I've written dystopian sci-fi. I've written a lot of urban fantasy. uh, I've written some Epic fantasy with, with gaming elements, kind of a lit RPG thing, Um, you know, and, and, and they've all been, you know, they've all done well. And I I felt really like I've been able to free myself by going into those different places. And I'm just curious, you know, how, how you would see that because these things are, there's so much out there. There's so much to explore. (laughs)
1: What's the question exactly?
0: (laughs) Well, I I don't know. I I mean, just what what your thoughts are on that, because, you know, there's there's so much to explore um, that, you know, I'm excited to hear you going in that direction and thinking about, um, you know, something a little more out of the box, um, because I think it's exciting to do that. and, And readers do like that kind of stuff.
1: Well, something I really want to explore is uh, habitats in space. Have you, I don't suppose you've read Kim Stanley Robinson's 2312? No. Okay. It's basically the selling point of the series are these amazing books, uh, these amazing asteroids that are carved out and hollowed out and like asteroids, 300 kilometers long and people settle them. People live in them. They're rotating to simulate gravity and there's like a natural environment, but looking upwards uh, you can see the top. You can see the other. It's just like a, an atlas that's been rolled in half. And people who live in that way and create a sustainable environment and grow crops and you know farm sheep and whatever in these impossible environments. And like, what would a fantasy world be like if people lived in those? What would the fantasy magic system be? Would the asteroid be conscious? Would it be a god? Would it be an AI? Or, and I just uh, the imagination the imagination boggles.
0: Well, and and you know, is AI a god in and of itself? I mean, there, you got, you just opened up a whole can of worms. So that's great. Yes, that's, that's exciting.
1: And it's like all these questions, and it brings in the notion of what is God, notion of what is God, and that's one of the questions that um, Therese uh, must cope with uh, as she gains powers that. Actually, as the series progresses, she gains powers that are godlike. And what would that like to do that progression from you know from at your lowest, progressing up to a demigod? I just really wanted to explore that. And what is a god and how does a god think? And that's the thing that's making it so hard and slow to write. Is someone's a god. How does their brain work? That's something I've sat back and pondered for a long time.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tough one. You know, I'd almost I'd almost write it, you know, if it were me and I'm not giving you advice. I'm just like spitballing. Um, But it would be almost as if I'd write it with an idea that it is automatically flawed from the start because Mm. I'm seeing it through a human character's eyes and and trying to understand God as a human is inherently problematic. Exactly. That would be me. Um, I I, I, I don't know. You know, I I think other people have explored this. Um, Piers Anthony did it with his Immortals series. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that. That's old school stuff. Um, But he he wrote um, he wrote a series of books about um, death, about nature, about time, um, about um, and then eventually about good and evil and he he ran into problems in his personal life while he was writing it having to do with each of the basic tenets of of um he was dealing with, Um, you know, nature. He had a natural disaster while he was writing the book about mother nature. He Ah. (laughs) he was dealing with that. He was dealing with time constraints because of some other issues. um, When he wrote about father time, Um, when he was writing about death, he had, he had a couple of deaths in his family. He had to contend with. Hmm. Um, And, you know, and he, and he and so in his author notes, he was like saying, "Oh my goodness, you know, I'm afraid to write the rest of these series because I'm, I'm, I'm ex- it's like I'm exploring something that doesn't want to be
1: explored." Hmm. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, I I oh, I haven't. <laughs> I think yeah, it is quite it is quite autobiographical in that I'm taking examining the nature of uh, corruption of great institutions. Um. But I don't think I'm becoming a demigod, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Mark, listen, it's been a blast talking to you. I have a feeling you and I could sit here and talk story all night, um, but and yeah. actually all day for you, because I think it's, what, 11, 12 in the morning are there for you. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about how you'd like to get in touch with your readers. Obviously, this is your first book, um, so you haven't really – interacted with a lot of readers, but what would be the place you'd like people to reach out to you and, and maybe ask questions or, or kind of connect with you online so that they can find out a little bit more about what you're up to? Uh,
1: That would be my Facebook page, Mark Johnson author, uh, Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Mark Johnson author. And on my website, there's uh, links to that. It's basically, I just try to keep it at Facebook because I don't think that I'm really, Uh, I'm not on Instagram and on Twitter. I just kind of, I'm, I, I read on Twitter. I don't, (laughs) I don't participate much. So I think Facebook would be the place to go.
0: Excellent. Well, we will make sure um, to have links to that for them. And also, of course, um, you know, your website is amazing, markjohnsonauthor.com. Uh, people should check that out. And, uh, you know, Mark, it's been great having you on the show. I appreciate it. Um, I really would um, love to chat with you some more. Maybe when you wrap this series up and start looking in another direction, um, we should have you back.
1: Oh, man, I'd love that, Jamie.
0: Excellent. Well, please do. And um, in the meantime, uh, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. I've loved it.
0: And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. Make sure you catch up with us while you're over uh, visiting at the uh, fantasy and sci-fi community on Facebook in that group. Or you can also find the podcast over at fantasy-focus.com. Leave a comment on this episode. Let me know what's on your mind. Also on the website, on each podcast episode post, you'll find links to subscribe to the show on your favorite mobile app for iOS, Android, even by email. Just make sure you do that because you don't want to miss any upcoming episodes. We have some amazing authors scheduled in the next few months, including our next episode with Christopher Keene. I know you're going to love it. That's it for this episode, though, of the Books and Authors Fantasy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook in my Facebook fan group at Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers or my page at Jamie Davis Books and, of course, my website, jamiedavisbooks.com. And if you head over to the website, you can actually get a free copy of one of my books. All you have to do is check out in the uh, right-hand side, and you'll see a place where you can sign up for the newsletter and get a free book. Whatever you do, though, subscribe to this podcast, too, and come back here for the next episode. And in the meantime, don't forget to keep your eyes open, folks, because there's magic all around you.